0: It's the 11 Dubcast. We just beat Hawaii. I'm Johnny Ginner.
1: I'm Michael Citro.
0: That was good. That was a little off key, but that's okay. Um,
1: I didn't know. I didn't know we're we were singing. About, what? I didn't know we were singing.
0: Well, this is an all singing, all dancing version of the 11 Dubcast. Because <laughs>
1: uh, I don't know.
0: I'm. You know. I'm in a pretty good mood. I can talk now. Yeah, you should I'm be back. in a good
1: mood. You're, You're alive. Yeah, you, you've come back from death's door.
0: Yeah, I was really bad. Okay, so Michael, did I tell you what exactly was wrong with me?
1: You told me you had some type of infection and I know it must have been bad cuz you went to urgent care.
0: Yeah, okay. So I had a staph infection actually. So that's cool. Oh. And here's the thing. So the staph infection was in my throat and it infected my uvula. So <laughs> <laughs> it caused it caused my uvula to swell up to like five times the size it's supposed to be. So I couldn't I literally couldn't like talk, because when I tried to talk, when I tried to verbalize, the uvulo gets stuck in my throat. So I would be like, if I tried to do the dubcast, you would be like, I'll... and like, I just, I, I choked every time I tried to talk. So It would be like doing I, a dubcast with Gollum. Yeah, basically. Um Which probably, <laughs> it sounds like you did that last week with Kevin. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Intern I hazing. Intern hazing, always fun.
0: You know what, it never gets yeah. old. Uh but honestly, seriously, thank you to Kevin. I listened to your guys uh podcast, your dubcast last week and it was great. I think you guys did a really great job and um maybe a little too great. Makes me a little, you know, a little nervous about my job security. So, I'm going to have to try to like not phone it in this week unlike every other week. So, I'm going to try really hard to be good at podcasting.
1: <laughs> we week. appreciate that. Although we've been told we say um too much.
0: Well, that's you know that's not going to change. Sorry, nah, nah. <laughs> that's not going away. I work I work ten hour days every day, and I talk all day. And at the end of the day, I'm pretty tired. So whatever crazy ridiculousness is coming off the top of my head gets recorded, and that's just probably filled with a lot of ums and likes. And there's I'm not I'm not sweating that. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about Ohio State football. First let's of all, I let's talk about uniforms. You want you know what? Last game was boring as crap, and there's a couple things that we can talk about. I'm going to get into the whole Cardale-JT thing in a second, but let's talk about uniforms for a second, Michael, because that's, a, that's something that is of great import to Ohio State fans, I think. Yeah. And are you, stoked, are, you, are you as excited as I am that they seem to be continuing to wear the uniforms that they wore during the playoff run this, or last year?
1: Yeah, and not only that, I think that this might have been the best-dressed game of all time in Ohio State oh, in yeah. history, because those Hawaii throwbacks are sweet.
0: Those were sick. Those were so awesome. And I, like, some people on Facebook, oh, you, you wear rainbows. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, congratulations, you live in the 1970s, where apparently, like, every day for you is, like, Dazed and Confused, where you haze people with wooden planks and crap. Like... It's 2015. Those uniforms were kick-ass. Uh, and, of course, Ohio State. Like, I love that the shoulder gray stripes are back. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm so pumped about that. And black shoulder I, numbers? Yeah. You know what? Some people don't like those. I like them a lot. I think they're pretty cool. I like the throwback nature of it. And I hope they wear those, like, permanently. I hope that's their new permanent uniform because I think that is just baller as heck. And I, I'm, I was, I was this a good-looking... The play wasn't as good, no, no, but no. The, the uniforms, the teams were, were pretty darn good looking last week. They I were
1: well-dressed. They were absolutely <laughs> very well-dressed, and you know, you're not going to make everybody happy because there's some people that are like, right. there's, there are a lot of people in our, in our listenership and in, in the readers from 11 players yeah. that say, dude, it's going to be so cool when we get black
0: uniforms. Yeah, it is going to be cool. You're wrong about this. I know. I know you don't like black uniforms, Michael, but they are going to be bad. Be, be so cool, It'll be bad. The kids like them.
1: Yeah, and that's all well, matters. the kids, uh, kids make a lot of bad choices. <laughs> Always, they do. And, that's true. The kids do. Make okay, bad let choices. me ask you this: Did you like San Francisco's uniforms last night?
0: Yeah, I did.
1: Well, you are wrong,
0: <laughs> and you should
1: feel bad about yourself.
0: I don't. I don't. Staff has the staff, has, it's the cool. staff infection gone to your brain. Man. I want to tell you something. I, I am sitting right here. I went to the gym after work, right? So I go to the gym, and I've got black hair, and I wear black glasses. I got black gym shorts. and I'm wearing a black ACDC shirt that says, uh, for those about to rock underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> and I look like a badass, and I thought it was great. Like, I just, I'm not saying they should wear that all the time, but I got to tell you something, all right? Penn State, all right, to have a blackout versus their whiteout, tell me that wouldn't be awesome. We don't
1: need gimmicks. That would be cool as heck. We don't really need gimmicks. We're Ohio State.
0: Yeah, but gimmicks are fun. Look, I know we don't need them, but if it's a fun gimmick, that doesn't mean you shouldn't. Oh, let me ask you this. Where does
1: it end? Do do you like striping out the stadium?
0: Yes, but I like it in theory. I just know that it will never happen because that's not what Ohio State fans are all about. Ohio State fans are not organized in any sense of the word, so that would never actually ever happen. But I love the – like, come on, Michael, like – don't tell me that you don't get a bit of, like, a rush when you see, like, a giant stadium that's all striped out like that. Come on.
1: No, I think it's kind of lame. That's fun. I don't like it. It's just the I way I am. Not. But here's the thing. I don't, I don't object to, like, alternative uniforms. Don't like fun. I, I don't object to alternative uniforms because, for example, I liked Oregon's this week. I thought Oregon's yeah. looked pretty sweet. Um, pretty- every time somebody tries to do the black look, though – with the black uniforms. It somehow just goes horribly wrong. It goes like Oklahoma State where they look like they're wearing pajamas, or like San Francisco <laughs> last, last night. They look like they're wearing pajamas. It doesn't come off right. It just doesn't work. Baylor, same thing.
0: Well, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. I am excited for it. And when it's good and it's gonna yeah. happen, Michael. I want the throwback
1: to to the you know, the Eddie George days with the giant numbers.
0: That would be pretty I cool. Like I actually would enjoy that as well.
1: Yeah, I love our scarlets. I'm sorry. I love our scarlet uniforms with the grey uh right. gray stripes and to me it's the classic look and and I don't need anything different, but that's just me. You
0: know I'm what, just one guy. Michael, I disagree with your opinion, but I I will fight to the death for your right to have it. So <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> uh anyway, so let's actually talk about football a little bit.
1: Okay, if you might.
0: So <laughs> let's try. So the game itself, I mean it was oh, god, it was real boring and I know that there's a lot of hand wringing over the quarterback play Mm -hmm. I don't where are you on that what what DEF CON level are you right are you on DEF CON 5 where you're just kind of hanging out like okay okay we've got the panic button but we don't need to press it are you at DEF CON 1 where you're like freaking out and you're just like slamming your fist in that giant red button to to make a you know quarterback change
1: uh it's too early to tell because was anybody complaining about the quarterback play after Virginia Tech
0: Right. No. I mean,
1: not course. really. I mean, everybody, you know, Cardale had a good night. JT threw one pass. It was a touchdown. You know, everybody did their thing, and, and we moved on. We were one Uh yeah. This week, it was not good, but it was not good a- across the board offensively. If you look at right. my biggest problem or concern, which I think will get fixed because it always does, is the offensive line. they yeah. not gelling. They're not working. Guys in the middle are getting beat badly. Um, you know, but that's not unusual for early in the season for, for this team, and usually by about mid-season they've got everything ironed out, and they're, they're a well-oiled machine, but uh, right now, they're not there, and I, I'm more concerned about that than the quarterback play, because I just think that we've got these two dudes, and if one is struggling, put the other one in, and I thought that when JT Barrett came in, he didn't have great numbers, but I thought he did a good job of settling everybody down and moving the team down the field. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's, and that's who JT Baird is, right? Like he's the, he's the field general. He's the guy who's going to get you like, okay, let's settle this down. Let's make it steady. And, you know, again, he didn't honestly, percentage wise, he did not stack up super great to Cardale. Cardale, I think percentage wise had the better game. Both guys I'm sure were not happy with themselves. I mean, Cardale seemed pretty down after the game. I don't, I mean, one of the things that I'm curious about, because Hawaii was clearly overmatched they the defense, I thought, performed incredibly well. Lights out. Like yeah, and that's the thing. Like, as much hand-wringing as there is of the offense, I think it's because there is so much of an expectation with Urban Meyer teams that you are just going to, like, stomp the crap out of teams, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like, Urban Meyer, like, the idea was that we have Urban Meyer instead of Jim Trestle. This was a Jim Trestle-type game, right? This was a very much like, well, the offense doesn't seem to be much of anything, but the defense is so good, it doesn't matter. And we're just going to sit here for three and a half hours and watch it. Yeah. And it, it was ugly a lot of the time. But I still really, really enjoy watching good defense. And it was opportunistic. You know, there was a lot of really cool things that they did in the secondary in terms of, like, trying to shut him down. I mean, it was, you know, Bosa played really well. He was, He just destroyed – that, uh, that, uh, I think the right tackle at one point, which is hilarious. Um, you know, it, I am a little more optimistic about this game than I think other people. I think the short week hurts, um, not having that kind of time, not having the downtime that you really need to, to get your mindset for a game. And plus, you know, you're coming off a really highly charged game in Virginia Tech, and now you're playing Hawaii at home. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where you can see a letdown coming from a mile away. And I think they'll be much better prepared next Saturday and, you know, maybe a similar result, but I think the team's going to look better. I think people will feel a little better about the outcome overall.
1: Yeah. I'm sure Matt Finkus will tell us a little bit later that when you don't have that rhythm, I mean, cause football players, they get into a yeah. rhythm and if you don't have that rhythm of the normal play, you know, a normal game week, it really affects you. They had two days to get ready for Hawaii essentially. Right. which Hawaii plays a little bit different defense than what they're used to seeing. They play the three, four, most teams play a four, three in college. Yep. So it's a little bit difficult to get ready for that. They didn't really have time to game plan. They used base stuff on offense that they, you know, basically five, six different plays that they just ran over and over and over. So when people are like, why aren't they running up the middles? Was, well, they're using their base packages and this is one of their base plays and they're going to use it, so, you know, Yep. but, um, and Matt Millen was going on and on about, you know, bloody their noses, you know, go right at him. It's like, well, you
0: know. That was an idiot. I, I'm sorry. Like, you know, sorry this, if this precludes Macmillan from ever coming on the Eleven Dove cast, but, God, he is just, he's the worst. And, I, you know, I don't like to go off on announcers like that, but it seemed like what made me upset, okay, like I really enjoy Hawaiian culture, Polynesian culture. I think it's a very unique culture in the world. I, I love, um, you know, the things like the Hakka, for example, which – is more of a Maori thing, but it is a Polynesian like cultural thing, and I love that you know Hawaii teams have adopted that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I real I've, I've been to Hawaii before, and I've, I've got friends who live there, and I just think it's a really fascinating, interesting culture. And Matt Millen basically taking zero time to learn any of the names of the players in Hawaii's team, and basically like kind of laughing it off, like "Huh, oh, didn't do my job this week, man." screw that guy, all right? He can't do analysis. That's, that's fine. There's lots of guys who can't do it. But to be so lazy as to just ignore the opponent just because you can't pronounce their names correctly, like, screw that guy. Like, I don't, you know, he can complain all he wants, but he lost a lot of points, in, in, in my opinion, uh, with that game. I was really upset about
1: that. Yeah, I mean, it's, be a professional. You're getting, yeah. you're getting paid to go to football games and explain what's going on. The least you exactly. can do is learn the players' names that are out there. And if you, yeah, you I'm you,
0: sorry, it's difficult. If you but flub your lines, you
1: flub your lines. I mean, everybody misspeaks, at, you know, at some point or another. I mean, certainly we do every five minutes on this show, but <laughs> it, that's just part of the game. And you know, you just do it and you move on. And if you screw one up, you screw one up. But you know, to not even try and then to to, to laugh it off as I was and like, oh, really I can't do these, so I'm not even going to try it. It's that's really, really lazy, and it's it doesn't do these kids. I mean, some of these kids are not going to be on national TV very much, you know, for right. Hawaii. So, you know, help them out a little bit, you know.
0: Yeah, that that bugged me a lot. I mean, it, the game itself, and, and that's the other thing. The game itself was not, you know, super engaging, and, and there was obviously, you know, a lot of lulls and things like that. But that's why you've got to. Build it up. And as a commentator, they just, they did not do their jobs. Yeah. Um, Or at least Matt Millen didn't. And, and, you know, I'm more interested in what went right with the Hawaii game than what went wrong. Because I I think you explain a lot of what went wrong away with the fatigue factor, the the short turnaround. I'm more curious about what they did on defense. I'm more curious about some of the things that they're doing with wide receivers, the rotations and things like that. Um, because that's really going to matter more down the line, and especially once they get into Big Ten season. But the final question that I have for you, I mean, this is maybe a weird question to ask, I think, <laughs> after a 38-point win. But do you, I mean, do you see any warning signs? Do you think this team is going to go undefeated, or do you think there's going to be a loss here during the season?
1: Well, I'm always skeptical going into any season that you're going to go undefeated because it's right—it's a rarity. I mean, what, have we done it eleven times? I think in the entire history of the the program.
0: Yeah, it's 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 not something that happens in a. Regardless. It is very very difficult to do, and
1: actually, I was thinking about this. You know, where you do all your good thinking in the shower in the morning. I was thinking,
0: <laughs> right. I was
1: thinking that actually, if we have to lose a game, it would actually, as much as I hate Michigan, it would be better to lose to Michigan than to Michigan State. Because yeah. if Michigan State beats Michigan and forces, you know, at minimum a three-way tie, but probably Michigan at some point will lose another conference game. And that way we'd have the tiebreaker over Michigan State still get to go to the championship game. So I, that's kind of where my head is at right now is that I think any team can be gotten. There's no team that's so head and shoulders above everyone else that, that they can win just by showing up. And right. unfortunately, you know, football players are human beings and they're going to have games where they're not – as As sharp as they should be, like they did against Hawaii, and if you do it against the wrong team and they come to play and they put their best you know foot forward and they have talent, they can sneak up and beat you and any team in the, any just about any team in the big Ten could beat you if you lay an egg.
0: Well, and that's the thing, right? Because I I personally think that that might happen. I think there's a decent chance of that happening this year where they just don't have the focus that they're supposed to have and it comes back and bites them. Uh, I'm really interested to see what the reaction of people would be if if that does happen because this team has been so hyped up and this team has been so built up. So, I don't know. Very curious. I think this is going to be a really interesting rest of the season. And, yeah, we've got some stinkers on the schedule coming up, but, it's gonna be even the stinkers can reveal a lot about a team, and I think that's gonna be really interesting and kind of cool to see. So now it's time for ask us anything. Yay! Let's, yay! I, I get to answer questions, and I'm very happy that I can do that this week. So we're gonna to try to go a little more quickly because we've got a lot of questions this week. But let's first, Michael, can you tell everyone listening at home how they can ask us anything?
1: Yeah, I you know I almost did that like Ollie from The Family Guy, uh, but. I'm not going to do it that way. Um, sure. this, you know, you can do it two ways. Two major ways is to uh, hit us up on Twitter and it's at 11 Dubcast, spell it all out. That's the, that's the easy way to get us. And that's the, the socially social media friendly way to get us. Uh, or you can email us as the old folks often do. Um, yes. You can get us at Dubcast at 11 warriors.com. Spell it all out. Yep. Yeah.
0: And we have, we have several questions this week. Uh, first, Couple here come from Gregory Metz, our, our very uh, loyal listener, sends in questions very often. Yeah. Uh, who asks which one of my fantasy football team names do you guys like better? A is Hot and Heavy Pandas, and B is Starship Unicorn. How do you how do you feel about that one?
1: Uh, I would go with B, Starship Unicorn. It sounds like a really awesome uh, progressive rock uh, concept yeah. album.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. It sounds like some 80s prog rock album. It sounds like uh, Pink Floyd or Rush got like really crazy on shrooms one night and decided to record a really crappy album. So I'm going with Starship Unicorn. I think that's the one you should pick as well. I, I think that's, that's an excellent name. I, <laughs> I just had the image of like the Starship Enterprise with a unicorn horn coming out. of <laughs> I think that'd be pretty good. Uh, so that's that's excellent. Number two is this philosophical question of the week, week, which, yeah, and I thought about this pretty long and hard before we we did this. So is it better to be an unhappy human being or a happy dog? Which would you rather be, Michael? I want to know your answer on
1: that. Um, well, having never been a dog before, um, I don't really know too much about what it's like to be a dog, happy or otherwise. <laughs> um, okay. The main thing for me about being a dog is being dependent upon someone else to go to the bathroom so I'd rather be probably an unhappy human being and be able to have bowel movements when I want to rather than yeah. wait for somebody to come home, uh, you know. And then the other thing, too, is, like, when your master leaves, if you're a dog, they have, like, no concept of time. So, you, like, the guy goes out to get sunglasses out of oh his car God. and then you, like, freak out like you haven't seen him in three weeks, you know, or something. Oh,
0: jeez. So, um, yeah. The hardest thing in the world, man. Like, I – so we just – me and my girlfriend just got a dog uh, this past weekend as you know, because we had this big debate on Slack yes. about what we should name the it. The dog's name is Tybus. Well, I would, you know, that was, I would and Tybus too, but the, the backup of Lincoln is totally fine. And I, I really enjoy, like, he's a good dog. He's a good dog. He's good whether he's named Tybus or Lincoln. I think Lincoln fits his personality. He's very chill. Tybus. He's not he's not melancholy, but he's, you know, he's serious. Um. Anyway, I would say definitely unhappy human being. Uh, simply for the fact that I would have opposable thumbs. I like the idea that I can manipulate objects in ways that I want them to, and I feel like if i a dog, I mean, it's, this really kind of assumes whether you would keep the intelligence of a dog or a human, right. really. Right. Um, but I, there's just too many perks. Like, I'm, <laughs> I try to be a happy guy, but I'm often unhappy, mm-hmm. and I still would rather prefer that uh, to being a happy dog. By the way, a television show that's very instructive for this question is <laughs> – the pilot for a – I don't know if it was NBC or CBS or something, but it was a pilot that appeared on television in the early 90s called Puchinski. Um, you should look it up on YouTube if you haven't. It's where Peter Boyle is a detective who dies, and his soul goes into a dog, and he becomes a talking dog. And the, the best line from the pilot, which I believe is in its entirety on YouTube, is, look at me, I'm a dog. So – I think, I don't know. I, being a happy dog would be pretty baller, but I'm going to stick with being a happy Hugh or an unhappy Hugh. Yeah, you could always um, become
1: happy at some point.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you're not permanently unhappy. So, Patrick Kelly has some questions for us as well. Uh, first of all, Heisman, who's your favorite to win and which Buckeye has the best shot? He's pulling for Braxton. Uh, but I think he understands that it's probably pretty difficult. Who, who do you think's got the inside track to Heisman? First of all, like in the national scene.
1: I don't even think we've we've we know who it is yet. I think it's way too yeah. early.
0: These things usually around the middle
1: of the season start to take shape, and it's always somebody that you have no idea who they were like at the beginning of the season. You might have like have heard of them, but you didn't realize they were going to blow up the way they did. So I think it's somebody that we haven't even heard of yet, and the favorites at the beginning of the year never win, and almost never get invited to New York, so... um, Yeah,
0: it's also, there's a lot of injuries too that are associated with it, you know, there's some guys, like Dennis Dixon, for example, right, everybody thought was the dude, and I personally, when, you know, that year when he was blowing up, I thought he was the dude, and of course he gets injured, and then, you know, JT Barrett, I mean, shoot, JT Barrett probably would have been right there, had he, you know, been able to go on and compete in the Big Ten Championship game, so I, you know, I agree, I think it's a little too early, I think Tanner Mangum you know, might be a good choice if you're looking at on the national scene. I don't think really, unless Ezekiel it really steps it up, like, he's had two, like, he had a pretty good game against Virginia Tech. He wasn't used, used very much. Uh-huh. He had a very, very mediocre game against Hawaii. He needs, I think, to step it up and start, you know, reeling off 150-yard games on a pretty consistent basis to to be considered. Mm-hmm. I think if you're splitting time between Barrett and Cardell, neither of them are going to be a candidate for that. So right. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. I would love it. I, I would love
1: for it to be Braxton, like Patrick Kelly said. I, I'm yeah, going I mean, for him because he's been through a lot in his career, and I agree. Yeah, like to see agree. that.
0: Yeah, for once, for once he should get recognized for his abilities. Yeah. Just just once, just once. Who? <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> Big team Coach of the Year. Uh, Ohio State coach has famously not won this since Earl Bruce in 1979, which is freaking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> the intervening years has seen an assembly line of farlesses or in coaches that, uh, you know, receive this recognition. What does it take to be so unworthy and is repeating as an undefeated wire-to-wire number one enough? I would hope so. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no. You know, if they go wire to wire to undefeated, if Urban Meyer doesn't win it, then it's truly an award simply designed to mess with Ohio State fans. Um, I don't see that happening. I, I think they're going to lose at some point, just you know, because it's so hard to do that. But it, yeah, I don't know. It, it's inexplicable at this point. I think it's honestly kind of a joke, like a literal joke. I think the people who give out the award are honestly just doing this because it's funny. But. <laughs> But I don't know. I, you know, if if Northwestern continues to be good somehow, maybe it will be Fitzgerald's year.
1: I don't know. Uh, spoiler alert: It's not going to be Ohio State's coach. It's Not.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's, not. it's it's really it's about expectations, right? Like, ex- the idea yeah. that they're supposed to be good, so therefore you didn't have to do a whole lot to make
1: everybody's back. So they expect Ohio State to repeat anything. Right. Anything less than that is a disappointment, and doing <laughs> just that and going undefeated and winning a national championship is that's what you're supposed to do. So no soup for you, Urban Meyer uh it's gonna yep. be
0: uh, have to cry into his hands filled with national it's
1: right now this this coach of the year is is jim Harbaugh's to lose it's his yep. to lose because they want yep. him to be good they want Michigan to be good. they're going to do what they need to do if he wins seven games or more he's the coach of the year in the big ten i, I that's my guess
0: I, I i have to, have to, think he has to be above five hundred um but i agree if if he has a you know if he has a good-ish season, he's, he's going to get it. Seven, eight, well, seven and, to eight be fair, and they
1: have an easy schedule,
0: so 7-8 wins very yeah. very attainable. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so what about motivation here? Number three here, Coach Meyer has done a lot in the past to keep the, the team grounded. Keeping a wire-to-wire team focused, it's tough. See 1998 and 2006, which, God, I remember too vividly. Uh, how does Meyer keep this team on the right path without burning them out by the time November rolls around?
1: Well, I'm a. I've been thinking about this all day, actually, and okay. um, I'm a big fan of the movie Major League, and they had, you know, they had to. So do we
0: have like a naked, like we have a Jim Delaney? Well, I, I, like <laughs> I think there's going to be where they slowly take clothes off him. I
1: think there's, I think there's a big cardboard cutout of Bert in the locker room, <laughs> and they just remove. How does that motivate? They just him? remove a gravy stain from Bert for every win, and then at the end of the year, if they win the championship, you know, he's just just Bert in a thong with a bucket of chicken.
0: That's, I feel like that's counterproductive. <laughs> I don't know that that actually accomplishes the goal that you are seeking to achieve. Uh, okay, so I,
1: maybe <laughs> Urban promises to get cornrows if they win another national championship.
0: Yeah, and then lie about it and never do it. No, Trestle did it. No, I'm talking about his tattoo. Oh, okay. The, uh, okay. He said he get a tattoo. It has, has refused to do so. Maybe
1: he's may still thinking about it.
0: I don't think it going I've been thinking it.
1: about it for 49 years.
0: What am I going to get?
1: <laughs> and I can't decide.
0: Well, at this point, Michael, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know what? I take that back. You do you, man. If you want to get a tattoo, you should get a tattoo. Oh, I'm geez. not one of, You know what? I'm not going to be one of those people who says, you can't get a tattoo. For bull crap. You can get a tattoo whenever you want, man. That's
1: right. It's my freaking life.
0: That's right. Uh, I honestly, like, screw it. Just, just treat the whole season, you know, like... It's just a pleasure cruise, and then get serious in, in November. But really, I don't know that they have to like be super motivated to beat teams until the last couple months of the season. Like, I, like I know that sounds unbelievably arrogant, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not real worried about the teams in the interim. I think they do need to be focused in general. Like, they they got to do what they got to do. But as far as like the master motivator stuff that Urban's known for, like, eh, I'm kind of. I think they'll be all yeah, right. I'm with that. Uh, Four, trolling. Uh, how much do you think the Burt of the Arkansas' is fighting Bielema's drank after losing the national, to the national titer, title court contender Toledo Rockets? Uh, <laughs> I picture him in his basement working his way through a bucket of country crock margarine that he spoons in his face hole with a spatula between ugly sobs. Wow, that is an excellent visual. Yeah. Do you think it was unfair to drop them out of the 25 for such a quality loss to an Ohio team? Yeah. Similarly. Do you think Urban Meyer called Dan Mullen on Sunday to tell him to go sit on a flaming roadco? <laughs> uh no, I don't
1: I don't think Urban called Dan Mullen because I think if you go back to like uh 2006, which we really don't like to do, Urban's yeah. one of those Urban's a smart dude. He knows that you sometimes you got to do things that maybe other people won't like to, yeah. you know, to to accomplish your goal. And if you remember back to that year, how early did he start crying about he didn't want a rematch between uh, Michigan and Barry, Ohio State because yeah. it wasn't fair? It was even bef- – it was before the SEC championship game. Yep. So, um, you know, I think he knows – he understands the psychological part of things, so he didn't call him. And, and in terms of all that other stuff, I want Bert to get fired and take his rightful place as the Illinois head coach.
0: <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that would be kind of like – the once and future King, right? King yeah. Arthur returning. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have a – like, I, I I enjoy Brett Bielema for what he is, a giant troll, and I think he serves his purpose well in the college football world, so I don't get upset about him. I just think he's funny. Yeah. And, you know, Dan Mullen, bad take on his part, but I'll forgive it. I mean, you know, whatever. He's he's stuck doing whatever he's doing, so I'm not going to engage in too much schadenfreude with him, I guess.
1: Yeah. So we got Andrew. So we have
0: a couple questions on Twitter. uh, We
1: got Andrew Hare, uh, Mr. Andrew Hare, and he's he's our Twitter question of the week. He says, "We recently saw video game like spin moves from Carlos Hyde and Braxton Miller. What are your favorite sports video game moments of all time?"
0: Oh boy, Um, hmm, that's a really good question. I I gotta say, like that spin move was hilarious, but I, I think. There was one other that I that came to mind when, when we were talking about this and, and thinking about it, and I, I got to say, like, I think one of the things I saw that was most influential on me whenever I played video games, because I'm crappy at them. I'm <laughs> so bad at sports video games. Like, I can play other video games, okay, but I can't play sports video games. It's pretty much anything to do with Beanie Wells. Like, he... So it was an Akron game, right? Uh-huh. And I was actually at this game, and it was it was just awful. Like it rained, and then it was hot and muggy, and it was just crap. And it wasn't a fun game to watch. Like I used to say, it was up like three to two in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to complain about the Hawaii game, uh, but one incident that happened during the course of this game was Beanie Wells is running down the middle of the field, and an Akron defender tries to tackle him, and he just like stiff arms this guy, like. Halfway to China. Like, the guy literally goes flying back, like, ten yards, like, rolling on the ground like he just got, like, exploded or something out of, like, the Mad Max movie. And um, ever since then, every time I play a video game, I try to replicate exactly that, like, in a football game. Like, I just I just try to stiff-arm everybody to see if it'll happen. And, of course, it never works. But, yeah, that might be my favorite.
1: Yeah, nice. I don't, I'm not sure what he means by your favorite sports video game moments. I
0: So maybe something that seemed like it was out of a video game.
1: Okay, so like the, the game last year where Auburn's playing Georgia, and they th- the guy throws the ball, up and two guys go to intercept it, and it just pops up the guy's hands and into the, yeah. into the receiver's arms and he scores a touchdown. That's the kind of stuff that happens when and, and you know they say that th- it's this, this not artificial intelligence. These video games are, are, you know it's totally random and all this stuff, but it's crap, Because you know, if you have a two-point or three-point lead at the end of the game and the computer has the ball. It's going to cheat to win the game. And that's the kind of stuff <laughs> that always happens against me when I, yeah. when I play these video games. It's like, I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. This is one more play. And the guy throws it up for grabs, and somehow it comes down, and then all of my defenders fall on the ground, and it just, you know, or, or can't tackle them no matter what button you hit, or whatever. And it's just, all of a sudden, everyone on the team is Bo Jackson from Tecmo Bowl, and you can't bring them down. And so it's, you know, the computer cheats. So it reminded me of the, like a cheat code. It's like, okay, you know, George's got this game. What the hell just happened? <laughs> you
0: know. That's pretty good. All right. Well, thank you guys for writing in and uh yeah, keep doing so, even you know, even though we, we may take a little longer to get to your question. We appreciate you writing in and, and asking us anything. All right, joining us tonight as he does every week during the football season is of course Matt Finkus with Finkus on Football. Thank you very much for coming on tonight, man.
2: Always a pleasure, gentlemen.
0: Uh so we just got out of this Hawaii game. I think a lot of people were kind of, you know, feeling that it was a lethargic performance by the offense. Uh, maybe kind of, I don't know, not not exactly what people were expecting. I mean, they they didn't quite cover the spread, but they came close. But it did not look pretty in doing so. Yeah. And Matt, yeah. one of the things I kind of really wanted to ask you about was Hawaii's defense. And I I don't know that Ohio State necessarily played any worse because of the way they play defense, but can you explain how like a four-three versus a three-four can kind of change the dynamic of a football game like that?
2: Well, I mean, it, it depends on what you prepared for. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you prepared for one and they throw the other, it does it, it changes. It changes your rules. It changes the the play calling. Uh, you know, certain plays work better against a four-three, and certain plays work better against a three-four. You know, if you're if you're running a three-four. You know, it's better to get angle blocking and try to get a, a bigger guard to kick out on, on the uh, on the smaller outside linebacker. You know, right? A, a four three has bubbles. So, I mean, are you attacking the bubbles or can you get the edge? You know, so, I mean, there, there's all those little nuances to it as well. Um, you know, I mean, yes, is it is it disconcerting a little bit that uh, that we seem to be outsmarted sometimes uh, on the offensive side of the football? Yeah, it, it is. Um, at, the, at the same time, you know, you're going to run into these gimmicky things. And, and when you're as good as Ohio State is, you're going to run into these teams that are going to just try to pull out any stop they can to slow you down. Uh, you know, I mean, is, is a team like Michigan State going to come out in a totally new defense and try to trick Ohio State? No. They're going to they're gonna come out and do what they do best and try to beat you. Uh, they don't want to spend the time trying to run a gimmicky defense that they'll never run again for the rest of the season because that's just not, that's not beneficial to, to them in the long run. So when you get you know a Hawaii that, that comes out and just tries to throw a new wrinkle at you, I mean, you've got to be prepared for that, but you also have to, have to know from a fan standpoint that, that it is what it is, and we're ten times more athletic than teams that are going to try to do that to us. And while it might be frustrating to watch for a little bit, it's not going to work in the end. Um, you know, that being said, too, I don't know how much I put on the style of defense or the, or the scheme that Hawaii was bringing, you know, because, you know, the running plays that we were running, uh, you know, is, is it going to make that much of a difference? Probably not. Is it on Cardell or JT to, to recognize that and to check the different plays? It is. And and if they didn't do that, then that's on them, and that's you know them not being prepared. But at the same time, you know, I played in the NFL, and I know that playing on a Monday night and then trying to come back on a Sunday with that one less day sucks. And so, to to do it to the extent of what Ohio State did it on a on a Monday night and then coming back on a Saturday, that's really tough. I mean, that that was the other thing I to ask you about. That's not making an excuse. That's a reality. That's that's tough right. to do, and yeah. I, I mean, it surprised the hell out of me that they let that go in the schedule like that, and w- without any kind of discussion or pushback or whatever. Because you know, when you come back and you get you land at four o'clock on a Tuesday morning, and you get a Saturday game, and you're still sore. i um, so I guarantee you those guys are still sore when they when they took the field on Saturday, and that's just. I mean, I think more than anything, that played probably a big role in the in the lethargicness. Now, I mean, there was some scheme stuff with the offensive line where they didn't look good at times. They didn't pick up blocks. They missed blitzers and things like that. And I think that goes back, to, again, maybe that goes back to the lack of time that you had to prepare. You know, maybe maybe this is something that Hawaii had showed, but they just didn't have the time to cover it. You know, there's a million different things that you can think about for this. But I think the the good thing was the defense showed up and played like out.
1: Yeah, Matt, that's, I'm glad you brought that up too about the short week because I did want to ask you about that. And, and how much of that is – not having recovery time and how much of it is just the disruption of your natural rhythm as an athlete in terms of, you know, you know, which days are you're going to have the, you know, the, the game plan installed and which days you're doing film and all of that stuff. How, how, how much percentage wise is, is each of those things?
2: You know, I would say from, from my standpoint, it was probably be, you know, I mean, if, if you're talking about where the problem lies of playing a game that short, I'd say 70% is physical. Um, you know, especially when you play a Virginia Tech and the starters played the entire game. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, we, we pulled the starters at halftime and, you know, those guys played two quarters and then the other team played two quarters. You know, I mean, the starters played the entire, an, an entire game against Virginia Tech. And, you know, for those who, who never played a college football game, you wake up sore the next morning. And, and it hurts. It, it, it hurts when you play college football and you play in a game like that. And it takes a while to recover. And and I think that that's something that a lot of people didn't take into account when they – or maybe they did take into account but just didn't know how, how it was going to affect those guys. But, yeah, physically, you know, I would put that – at man, that that's the thing that I'm worried about because you're going to be sore – the sorest day normally you have is Monday. That's why, you know, a lot of the schedule has gone to Sunday you come in, you lift, you watch the film, you know, you, you do a lot of the prep work and stuff. on on sunday because monday is your source day it's not it's not the day after it's two days after so now that source day is wednesday so you're sourced on wednesday right now after playing a monday night game and that's the day that you really got to go out and practice hard i mean that's the day that you that that, you know you're slated to be in full pads and you've got to get some insulation done you've got to work some full speed stuff and you know thursday is normally in a normal week is a shells day. You go out, and it's just kind of a, a high-speed walkthrough, Friday's a walkthrough, and then you play Saturday. So the, the schedule of, of this shortened week and where your body is physically, to take that day that you're sourced ever after a game and not to have it off where you can come in and watch some film, get some treatment, you know, get in a hot tub, maybe get a lift in and, and you know do a little conditioning to get the lactic acid out of your muscles. You're now having to go out and put pads on again and and hit on the day that you're sourced after a game. And I think that played a huge, huge factor, not not maybe on Saturday, but on the preparation through the week leading up to the game.
0: Yeah, and and I know that just probably affects – it's a snowball effect, right? Like it just keeps going and going, and
2: you've got to figure out a way to kind of alleviate that. You know, you, you can't prepare right if you're, not, if you're not physically ready to practice right, you know, and so now right. you've wasted a, wasted a Wednesday. I guarantee I wasn't out there Wednesday, but I guarantee you Wednesday was probably one of the worst practices they had if they went in full pads. Just because and no now. one wants to, wants to get after that and hit again after, you, you know, again, that's, that's the day you are the sorest. You don't want to go out and, and knock heads again after that. You know, you feel like you're back in camp.
0: Uh, Matt, let me ask you this. This is—I know you have some pretty strong opinions on this. Um, how do you feel about how the quarterback situation has been handled thus far?
2: Um, I will say this: if it was—if if Urban is viewing it as an open competition still, then I think he needs to treat it as such and give each guy equal time. Let them know when they're going to be playing, what situations, and and almost treat it like a preseason game. If this right. is a um, I just feel when I'm going to put another guy in, I man, I disagree with it. I think you got to pick a guy and stick with him. Do I think that we're at the point right now where we need to pick a guy and stick with him? Probably not. You know, I said after the first week, after the Virginia Tech, I wouldn't mind seeing, um, you know, these next three games played like an NFL preseason games when it comes to the quarterbacks and give each guy a quarter and alternate starts and see what you can do with that and then, you know, Evaluate, keep track, and and evaluate play, evaluate the stats at the end of that, and and then start Big Ten with your starter. Um, But I don't know what – I mean, obviously Urban doesn't confide in everything that he does. So I don't know exactly what he's thinking with this and what his strategy is. But but obviously at some point – and I think Urban knows this too – you've got to pick a guy and go with him. This isn't Chris Leak and Tim Tebow where you've got two different skill sets. These are two guys that are basically the same quarterback. One just with a little bit stronger arm. And for me, it's who makes the better decisions. And to this point, I don't think Cardell has made good decisions. Um, And 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 that I think is gonna gonna hurt you in the long run. Where I think JT may not make the fabulous plays, but I don't. But JT hasn't made a throw yet this year where I, when the ball left his hand, I, I thought to myself, ooh, not a good idea. Cardell has made five of those at least this year. Or when the, when he's jumping up in the air and throwing the ball, I'm like, hey, I don't know what where that ball is going, but this could be bad. <laughs> right. You know? and, and for me, or Like that the first three throws my... are going
0: off his back foot.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I mean, the, the first touchdown pass, you know, I think we talked about this last week where, you know, he throws the ball, and then he's celebrating. It's great. And you see Urban Meyer, like, calling him over to the sidelines, like, don't ever do that again.
3: <laughs> you know, because
2: he, he just threw the ball up the ground. And luckily, Curtis Samuel did, you know, uh, three triple axles and, and came down with it somehow. So right. I don't know how it's going to – I mean, obviously, this is me. And I think that, that you can, no guy has taken the job yet. When J.T. has been in, it's not like he's, you know, asserted himself as the guy. And really jumped out, and, you know, man. He he. This is his spot. So he hasn't done that either. I don't think. From, I mean, for my opinion, Cardell hasn't done that either. You know, he's been the guy getting the starts, but he hasn't been the guy who's taking control of this offense. So, you know, unless they're unless you just have a favorite and that's who your gut tells you to go with, if it's my opinion, I think you you play this like you know preseason, first quarter. Next week is going to be JT. Second quarter is going to be Cardale, third quarter JT, fourth quarter Cardell. You know, maybe split it up by halves the week after that and, and assess it going into Big Ten play, pick your starter and go. Now, that all being said is there might be a factor to this too, and I don't know this for sure. You know, I, you hear a lot of different things around the locker room. Would Cardale be mentally tough enough to, to be able to take the backseat if he's not the starter? I don't know. Um, my suspicion would say that that would cause more problems if, if there were to be problems to be had in that situation. I think it would be if Cardale was two and JT was one. I think if it's the opposite way, JT just seems more mature and would roll with that. Um, right. And, and maybe that that's playing a factor into it too. That's all speculation. So, but you know that that that's probably that has to go into the decision too when you're talking about the mental stability and, and where the team lies and. And you know who, you know, if you do go with JT, are you going to be able to rely on Cardell Jones as your backup quarterback? You know, I mean, that's a, that's a real question.
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking it from the perspective of um, like injuries as well. Like, who's the guy who's going to be more durable throughout the year? Um, yeah. But I, I think the locker room is also a really big factor in that as well. You know what I mean? Just just managing oh, those yeah. expectations and.
2: Yeah, I mean to it is. Out, like, I, I, I gonna think be the is, best you know, guy. Yeah, I mean you go back to 1996, and, and I didn't realize this in, until I saw the uh, the you know the documentary that, that the Big Ten Network did on us. But you know, defensively we had we didn't care who started, whether it was Stan Jackson or Joe Jermaine. It didn't matter to us. We just played defense. Right. But but to go back and talk to those guys and know that there was kind of a rift on the offensive side of the ball of who certain guys wanted to start you know, that's, that's disconcerting. I mean, and you never want that in a locker room. And so that's a real thing. I mean, that's, that that's something that, that the coaching staff has to take into account when making this decision right or wrong, you know, it, that's something they have to take into account.
1: Matt, before we let you go, we certainly got to get you to weigh in on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, uh, you know, Ohio state goes out, you know, the defense had a short week too, but they go out and they hold uh, Hawaii, to you know, 80 yards rushing 85 passing, which 29 of that came on the first play. Just an unbelievable performance from the defense. What did, what were your thoughts on that, and, and what are your thoughts on the secondary in particular?
2: You know, I thought that, that the defense obviously played really well. Uh, secondary, I thought, showed up and was, was making some plays, running around, running to the football. Uh, you know, I, I think it is a little bit easier uh, on the defense because you, you've got rotations, especially on the in that up front. You know, the offensive line doesn't rotate up front. The mm-hmm. defensive line does. So you're not taking as many snaps as what the offense did on, uh, on Monday night. But that being said, I thought that they utilized Sam Hubbard again very well, you know, moving, mixing him in on some situational pass rushing downs and, you know, having him and Bosa and, uh, you know, Tyquan Lewis on the field all at the same time with Adolphus Washington. You know, that's a, that's a group that I'd like to see rushing the passer a lot. And, and I think that, that, you know, the linebacking crew still has a little bit of work, you know, in, in our coverage. Uh, I think Darren Lee is a great coverage guy. Um, Rayquan McMillan, I think, is, is pretty good as well. Josh Perry, I think that's, that's one area he's got to work on a little bit. Uh, but but I, I thought overall the defense played re- re- really well. When you go into a game like that, you know that w- what you're going to do. You know, Hawaii, for, for all intents and purposes, is a one-dimensional football team. You know, they're going to throw the ball 60 times a game. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to have a tough test this week. I mean, you've you got a guy like Drew Hare who ran the ball for 800 yards last, last year from the quarterback position. Ohio State, historically, not that great against running quarterbacks. They so, you know, take away the Marcus Mariota from last year, and they've really struggled at times with those mobile quarterbacks. So this is going to be a totally different test, and, and, and I think really kind of the first true test for this defense because after Brewer got knocked out of the game at, at Virginia Tech, uh, the, that quarterback really couldn't do much. So this, this will be a good test that's coming up this week for Northern Illinois with their Ohio State defense.
0: Well, I got to tell you, thank you so much for uh, coming on and and dissecting that. There's a lot going on this season, even though we're playing these cupcakes. So we really appreciate you coming on, man.
2: My pleasure, guys. We'll do it again next week.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks, man. That's Finkus on football. All right, guys. Joining us tonight, we're very, really, really, really happy to have uh, Adam Rittenberg, National College Football Writer for ESPN. Thank you so much for coming on tonight.
3: You bet, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: I am really excited because a, there's a couple of, of big-time college football stories that I really, really want to ask you about. And obviously, we're going to get to Ohio State stuff, which, you know, they're the, they're the number one team and seem to be pretty consensus to be the number one team. But I want to start off with whatever the hell is going on at Rutgers. Uh, are they just going to have to build, like, a, a wall around the entire state of New Jersey, like in Mad or not Mad Max, but in, like, uh, Escape from New York? you know, and turn the whole thing into a penitentiary. Like, what what is going on at that school? What is Is there anything that Kyle Floyd can do to stop what's happening?
3: Well, I you know, it just seems to be getting worse by the day. The interesting yeah. thing, guys, about Rutgers is that um, Rutgers is a very reputable program. I mean, if you look at what they did, uh, if you look at the APR rate, you know, for the last 10 years or so, they're right up there with, with Northwestern and Duke and Stanford and some of the best schools in the country. Greg Chiano ran a incredibly strong academic program and you know, that was taken over by Kyle Flood. And I, the thing that's disappointing, you know, is that some of these players, you know, namely Le'onte Peru, had no history of, of any off field issues. And, you know, he had the, the half game suspension to begin the year because of a curfew violation, which is understandable and that goes on a lot of places. Um, but then, you know, the situation on Saturday, certainly much more serious Uh, at least the charge is much more serious and we'll see where that goes and then you have this string of players uh former players um some some that were current until they became former players who were involved in it's a various serious uh, alleged criminal activity and you start to throw words around like culture and is this the culture at Rutgers that's certainly not what Kyle Flood wants to have but you know the numbers are what they are and this program had a lot of Bad publicity, as you guys remember, stretching from the Mike Rice uh, scandal to the hiring of Eddie Jordan and the resume issue, Um, and then the hiring of Julie Herman, certainly as athletic director, was controversial. And then it sort of quieted down. And and, and honestly, Rutgers had a great first year in the Big Ten, at least from a football standpoint. Um, They held their own in the Big Ten East division. They won a bowl game, and uh, everything was seemingly going well until the start of this year. And uh, you know, leading into the season, and then uh, with Flood uh, being accused of uh, of tampering potentially with uh, with with a, with a player's academic status, and then all of this. So we've already had one Big Ten coach let go essentially in the season, and Tim Backman. And you know, there's certainly other speculation that that Bud is on the hot seat. Um, one coach I spoke to today even asked me that. You know, do you think he's going to make it through the season? And it's just stunning because I thought he did a really nice job with that program last year. And they seem to have some stability, and then here we are with all of these off-field issues. So, very disappointing situation.
1: Adam, you've been around a little bit and seen some of these programs that have imploded over the years. And I guess my question is: once you have a situation where you do start to throw around words like the culture, how does that resolve itself? Is it just wholesale replacements, or is there, you know, obviously the the final accountability has to go with the university president, but at, you know how does that start to to turn around and and become uh first of all stopping the bleeding and then second of all becoming a positive instead of a negative
3: right well i mean you you hope as a coach that you know that that, that the the players that you've dismissed from the team or the players that have been charged and I would certainly take Leonte Carew out of the other group because he's not in it, um, that that group is isolated, and that that's not permeating through the rest of your roster, that you're going to find out similar things with other players. Um, so that, that, that's the hope at Rutgers right now, that, that you know this is this ends and that the rest of the team is uh, doing what they need to do and you don't have other, other problems of this nature um, because, yeah, it becomes widespread and you find out that, you know, gosh, 10, 15, 20, 25 players are involved in this type of stuff. Um, there's no way a coach can survive that. Then it's it's too obvious. It's too damning. The PR is too bad. Um, so I think from Flood's perspective, you're just hoping that this is the last uh, player you hear about that's that's involved in this type of situation. And and then we'll certainly see where things go with Carew. He's a great player. A guy that you know, certainly was talked about as a potential early uh, draft entry, entrance, I should say, um, and, uh, you know, I was literally looking forward to seeing him play this season, but we're not going to see him this week at Penn State, and we don't know when we're going to see him again.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's really interesting to see how that, just, the domino effect, right, like, it's just, it seems like it's it's never going to stop until it finally kind of peters out, but it's, it's going to sure. be really interesting to see how they handle that in the future. Well,
3: you- You look at Florida State, even, guys. I mean, you know, it started with, uh, you know, Jameis Winston's situation, and then it evolved into the, it seemed like one thing after another, after another, after another. And you had the two situations this summer uh, one that was caught on video, and then DeAndre Johnson was dismissed from the program. The other one with Alvin Cook was resolved positively in that he basically didn't uh, uh, miss any time and is playing good, really well, and uh, and it seems to be behind them. And, you know, from being down there at Florida State a few weeks ago, uh, to, to kind of do a story about, somewhat related to conduct, um, I know it's something that they're hammering home that they just hope it's the end uh, because they had a really rough stretch and they got uh, they got blasted, rightfully so, in my opinion, in the media, and, and you just kind of want it want it to end. And uh, I know that they had a similar stretch, and now Rutgers is going through that.
0: Well, let's 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 talk about a guy who's also kind of getting blasted a little bit, uh in Brett Bielema, <laughs> who is the guy we never get tired of talking about, just because you know. We saw him up close, obviously, in the Big Ten, and he he was kind of a blowhard nemesis for Ohio State and, and fun to talk about. So he obviously kind of talks a little bit of trash about Ohio State's schedule and then promptly went out and lost to uh, the Rockets of Toledo, uh, the mighty Rockets of Toledo. And, and that's obviously really embarrassing and, and funny and whatnot. But the larger issue that I kind of wanted to ask you about was how does that speak to the parody in college football? Like, is that is the narrative of, like, You know, you saw, uh, you know, Auburn obviously getting challenged at home and almost losing to an extreme underdog from a different, you know, division, essentially. What do we have to rethink about how we think of like divisions and conferences in college football in terms of power and strength? Or is it that kind of like a fluky thing that's just going to pop up from time to
3: time? Well, you know, we've seen this for many years, guys. I think that the team like Toledo that go to Arkansas, you know, they're going to get up for that game. Yeah, they're going to play their right. best game. Um, and it, it's sort of the same conversation we've had with Boise State for many years. They, they were great at taking down the Giants in in uh, in one or two or maybe three games, but could they do it for 12 games or 10 games? Um, you know, TCU has shown that they could, but it took them some time. I mean, they were they were in the Mountain West or Big East briefly and all these other leagues and they were, they were uh, rising up and beating their good teams from power conferences, and then they transitioned to the Big 12, and they really struggled for a couple of years. And then now you're seeing that they're able to, to kind of do it week after week. So I think only certain programs are able to, to do it at a high level for sustained periods during the season, but for one game here and there, absolutely. And, and there are some other teams out there, like Temple's one of them. I think Temple's a really good team. Uh, I think Temple, if they played you know, six or seven Big Ten teams, they they might go 500 this year, maybe better than that uh, with the team they have, the defense they have. I think Houston, with Tom Herman as coach, as you guys know, is a really good team. They beat Louisville on the road last week. I think they could uh, beat some of the power teams. But I think if they played full eight or nine-game power five schedules, you would see a little bit of difference. Um, And uh, certainly it was a tough loss for Arkansas. Uh, They came into the season, much like Tennessee is a team that, you know, went 6-6 six and six in the regular season, won their bowl game, or received incredible amounts of uh, off-season attention and hype, and, and, and hey, they're going to break through this year. And then Brett makes those comments about the schedule of Ohio State, and I think you guys would probably agree with me that has more to do with Urban and his issues with Urban than anything else. Yes, and, uh, then, and then you yeah. go out and, and you lose to Toledo and you can't run the football, which is your hallmark against Toledo. Uh, it doesn't really <laughs> matter how many ranked teams you have in the rest of your schedule if you can't beat that team at home. So uh, definitely a tough situation for Brett, a really tough weekend for the SEC. Last year it was Week 2 that hurt the Big Ten's reputation. This year the SEC is feeling blue in Week 2 after you know, Auburn nearly loses to Jacksonville State, and Tennessee blows that huge lead at home against Oklahoma,
2: and uh,
3: and uh, Arkansas loses to Toledo, and, and there are some other lowlights around the conference. So um, really rough one for Brett and the Arkansas Razorbacks and certainly the South Eastern Conference.
1: Adam, how much of this is the pressure of the SEC, and and needing to just take some of the heat elsewhere when you when you hear coaches like, um, you know, like Dan Mullen and and Brett Bielema and um, Steve Spurrier say things about other conferences' schedules and that kind of thing? How much of that is just saying, "Don't look at us; we're going to lose three or four games."
3: Well, I would say that. You know they do have it harder week in and week out than than I think any other league, especially in the West Division. Um, I still think that the, the the bottom of the West Division, the SEC, is is higher than the bottom of any other division in college football. Uh, Pac-12 South is close, but there's still a Colorado to kick around. You know, the, the 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 Big Ten has several teams to kick around. Uh, you look at Maryland; I don't think they're going to be very good this year. Um, Indiana is going to be kicked around until proven otherwise. Uh, in the West Division, you have uh, you know, Purdue and, and, you know, Illinois started strong, but we'll see how long that lasts. Um, so I, 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 think there's some, some truth to it. I've spoken to Brett about this extensively. Um, that, that it is just tougher week in and week out playing in that conference, but, but I think it is, you're right. There's some degree of damage control that, that, uh, oh, uh, it, it must be nice to play in a league where you only have to get up for two or three games a year. Whereas in this league, anybody can be anybody. Um, but I think to speak to your earlier point, there is more parity, so that's sort of the case anywhere, and uh, and we're seeing it around the country. And um, I, I think I think those types of statements, people are getting a little bit tired of coming from folks in the SEC. Yeah,
0: I I would agree with that. Um, you know what? So one of the things, you know, Ohio State beat Hawaii, you know, thirty eight to nothing, which of course meant that Ohio State fans spent the weekend, you know, wringing their hands and, and worrying about the offense <laughs> and a thirty eight point win. And the question that we've kind of been mulling over tonight is the handling of the quarterback system. And I, I think a lot of people assume that it would just get worked out perfectly because it the best in the of the universe. And it still feels like it's kind of stumbling along a little bit. I just wanted to get your perspective on it and ultimately how you think it's going to end up going forward maybe in the next four or five weeks, especially going into Big Ten season.
3: It's going to be fascinating, guys. I mean, from talking to a bunch of coaches in the offseason, I'm sure you guys heard this too. Everyone thought it was going to be J.T. Barrett. Um, yes. He was so mm-hmm. impressive, you know, until his injury, from his accuracy to his leadership to his running ability. Um, he was just unstoppable out there, especially in Big Ten plays. So a lot of the Big Ten coaches I, I talked to were really expecting it to be him, and it could be. You know, Urban's left the door open for that. I, I would really not worry at all about last week. I could see that coming. Um, and, you know, certainly, you know, anyone going against those rainbows would be, would be mes- mesmerized by the uniforms. <laughs> I don't even care if you're the best team in the country. But, you know, short yeah. ref, uh Hawaii, who's going to get excited about that? Um, so I, I saw a sluggish performance coming. If it comes again this week, get throw Illinois and the following week, maybe there's a reason to be a little bit concerned about the Buckeyes, uh, especially on offense. But um, as far as the quarterback situation, uh, I, I think there's still you know a chance for for, for this to, to have a few plot twists you know I know they want Cardale Jones to feel like you know he's the guy and and uh, and his team but um, J.T. Barrett's going to play I mean he's just too good I think when he gets healthier the more comfortable out there he's going to be uh, an even bigger factor who knows the Braxton Miller when he gets a little a little healthier although he's he certainly uh, seems to be thriving in the role that he's in right now um, but there's so much talent elsewhere on that, on that offense from the offensive line to the running backs. Nobody ever talks about the tight end. They have some pretty good receivers, uh, and especially you know, with getting Marshall and Wilson back. So, you know, is it ideal? Would you like to have one guy who's clearly the, the, the guy at quarterback? Sure. But I, I think, you know, if there's any staff and any offense that can kind of, that kind of manage it for a while, especially until the schedule gets tougher later in the year with Michigan State, it's Ohio State. I think they're going to be fine.
1: Adam, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the sort of the traditional powers and what's sort of happening to some of them. Like, you know, teams like Nebraska that were so good for so long, and then you see, um, you know, Oklahoma have a few down years, and you see Miami struggling to get back to where they were. I mean, are there some of these schools that just, you know, they had their time and and it's just the cyclical nature of, of the sport? Or is there a, like a real legitimate uh, – recruiting issue with some of these schools
3: i think there's a recruiting issue with with nebraska um i know i've talked to to jerry dinardo and other people about this issue where you know they can't get prospects to their campus before typically those prospects are making decisions you guys know how early uh most recruits top recruits are, are, are making commitments and it's typically well before you can bring a guy on for an official visit so I know one thing that Jerry Nardo and, and other people have talked about, and a lot of the coaches in the West Division should consider this, is, is to push to move official visits up uh, so they can get these guys on their campuses earlier in the process while they're making their decision. I, I just don't know if, why, if you're a top player right now, unless you have a connection to Nebraska, or you really have fallen in love with the history and that campus and the program. There's a lot of great things there, but I, it's not as alluring as it was certainly in the 90s. Uh, when they were when they were winning national championships. So it, it's gonna be challenging, I think, to to have the type of talent that uh that they were they had grown accustomed to in that part of their history. However, you know, you're in a, a, a very winnable division. You know, you look at Wisconsin and, and they're rarely um you know winning any sort of recruiting rankings awards. Um they it turned out a lot of NFL players but a lot of those guys came in uh, under the radar, including a guy named JJ Watt, who's just pretty well up at the next level. So th- there, there, there's hope for Nebraska. I think it's going to be, I take a, you know, Mike Riley and his staff, and they've done this in their past or state, being really smart with who they go after. So they have connections in Texas. That's important. They have a lot of connections in California. That's important. Uh, so, so those, those types of diamonds in the rough can really help Nebraska, but, um, I, it's just not the same, uh, there's not the same buzz around that program that there once was.
0: Yeah, and I think that may be something that affects a lot of the other, like, kind of old school, like, I don't know, it's interesting because, you know, you have teams like Notre Dame who obviously are kind of on the rise in certain ways, although they, they now have extreme challenges to face, much in the same way that Ohio State did last year. But it's it's interesting to me see which one of the blue buds are able to kind of perpetuate that success versus some of the other guys who you are really surprised can't anymore and I, I think that's a it's an interesting dynamic in college football
3: yeah Notre Dame Notre Dame's an interesting one because you know Brian Kelly I think has recruited in some different places than they had historically I mean they've always been a national recruiting uh school but you know he's made some inroads into the southeast you know where you know there are a lot of top players and there are top players in volume that you're not seeing in other places in the country I and mean, they've done well in South Carolina they've done well in North Carolina um, Georgia, you know some of these top states, and uh, I, I think their talent level right now is, is pretty, is pretty impressive. Especially uh, you look at what they have, you know, defensively. I know they didn't play great last week, but there's there's a lot of uh, Jalen Smith is going to be a top 10 pick, top 15 pick at linebacker. Um, you look offensively, the offensive line has some future NFL players, really good wide receiving core. So I think the talent level there is in a little bit different place. Than it is uh, in Nebraska, and um, you know I think it's just because of Notre Dame and their ability to sort of stretch their recruiting boundaries, but you have to be smarter in in, in these days because you can't just rely on reputation. A lot of these players don't remember what when Notre Dame was an elite program or when Michigan was an elite program, or when Nebraska was an elite program so so there's a different approach that you have to take now with your social media with your branding, you know, your uniforms, Just seeing everybody do alternate uniforms. So it's a different world out there. And I think the more more programs that realize that and do innovative things uh, are going to be better off in recruiting.
1: Yeah. I thought that Notre Dame was one of those schools that might uh, become like one of those uh, in danger of being a dinosaur and, and go the way that uh, some of the other early powers were. But I think the ACC affiliation kind of rejuvenated them a bit in some ways. My last question for you, Adam, is um, Is there a better story right now in college football than BYU?
3: No. Uh, it's, they've been unbelievable. I mean, they're, they're sort of becoming America's team um, with you know, how, how they won the first game in Nebraska in spite of losing Taysom Hill, a guy that we were all really looking forward to seeing this year. And then he goes down with another injury. You just have to feel for him, and, and who knows, they'll come back as a, a 34-year-old senior or something. Yeah. But uh, you know, Tanner Mangum <laughs> has, has, has become a household name with, with some of these plays he's making. I mean, you look at BYU's schedule. I, I, I can't remember a September schedule like this. Uh, Notre Dame probably had one at some point, um, you know, where they're just, it's just a tough game after tough game after tough game after tough game, and three of them on the road. I mean, you, know, you, you, you beat Nebraska on a Hail Mary. And you beat Boise State uh, with the late rally. So, you know, here's your prize, a trip to UCLA followed by a trip to Michigan. (laughs) So uh, it's going to be fun to see what happens this week. I think UCLA is the best team they're going to play, maybe by a significant margin. I really like UCLA. They're one of my playoff picks. Josh Rosen has been great as the freshman quarterback, and then they they follow that with a trip to Michigan. So if they can somehow go – 3-1 Three and one in this stretch of September, and it maybe just four and zero. if they go four and zero, they have to be on the playoff radar. But even three and one would really be remarkable and, uh, and make them a team to watch the the rest of the season. They've been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and dirty, but that's okay because that, that <laughs> a adds bit, to their a bad boy bit, image. You
3: know, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. We Really appreciate you, you know, bringing us the national scene, and, and that's that's something that. You know, when we're dealing with the cupcakes of September, it's something that we always enjoy hearing. So thank you so much for coming on, man.
3: Absolutely. Michigan State game will be here sooner than, than, than we uh, than, than we think. So that's, uh, that's the one that's to much us, <laughs> really. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Okay, thanks, guys.
0: And that is our 11-Dubcast. Thanks again to Matt Fincus with Fincus on Football. And, of course, Adam Rittenberg, Ooh. National College Football Writer for ESPN. Great guy. Very informative. And we're super lucky that we get to have him on. So, Michael, I have one real quick question for you because we're going kind of long this this week, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I have my voice back. I want to use it. What a
1: comeback by you, by the way. What a, what a comeback <laughs> episode of the Dubcast for Johnny Gitter.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, let me ask you this question. So I think we can both agree. Maybe Fingus doesn't, but uh, those Hawaiian uniforms were sick. Like, those were some sweet, sweet uniforms we discussed uniforms a little bit earlier. What is your all-time favorite non-Ohio State uniform My in college football? My all-time favorite
1: non-Ohio State uniform. Um, you know, it's funny because I actually grew up thinking that if I ever played college football, I thought it would be cool to play at Hawaii. And, oh, really? Yeah, I, I always thought, like, if I was
0: this – Just because it's Hawaii? Yeah,
1: because I was like, why don't people want to go to Hawaii? Like, why don't they want yeah. – like, why aren't kids, like, going, screw this. Let's go to Hawaii for college, right? Right. And obviously now I know there's there's you know, as I got older I realized there's, you know, facility differences and, you know, competitive disadvantage with all the travel and that kind of thing. But I still Yeah, think,
0: I've seen their stadium, it's it's not Yeah. But
1: I still I thought, man, it would be really cool to go there. So I actually grew up as as they were like, you know, if you if you have a secondary team, which you really don't, but you know, those that was a team I always paid attention to and I wanted them to win. So believe it or not, when they came up up with the throwback uniforms this this week i was actually very happy about that because i always loved watching hawaii in those uniforms you know back when i was you know as a kid they weren't on on very often but i always looked for their scores and i always looked like in football magazines for like pictures of their stuff and and uh, you know every once in a while they'd be on tv and it would be like wow cool hawaii's on tv and you know it's like nighttime outside but you're looking at the tv and it's you know, gorgeous, beautiful, balmy day in Honolulu.
0: <laughs> right. And
1: so I actually, believe it or not, those are my favorite uniforms that are non-Ohio State. Uh,
0: I mean, look, let's be honest. That's not a bad choice. Yeah. That's a pretty solid choice, I think, for uh, for uniforms. I mean, those were, those were pretty sick. Yeah. Those are nice, uh, especially the really old school ones, you know, even the ones that aren't solid white, like the green ones with the, you know, the the rainbow sleeves. Those are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, so those are really high up there for me too. But I always love, uh, love the really classic UCLA uniforms.
1: Yes, they're very you very know, nice,
0: and, and especially with like the older script for the numbers, mm-hmm. like the the fancy script. I just think those are beautiful. I love those uniforms, and I think kind of tied with that might be the home uniforms for Washington, which I've always liked a whole lot. So yeah, I you know you you can't go wrong with a classy like old school uniform and, you know, again, Ohio state has some pretty great uniforms themselves, but I, I'm a big fan of those West coast guys. Yeah. So and those, all, you I,
1: know, those alt uniforms for Navy last year were freaking sweet too.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Agreed. greedo. like, the, yeah, and that's the thing, you know, you can, you can look good. You don't have to look like, you know,
3: Maryland,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or like the alternates that they had for, uh, uh, Wisconsin and Nebraska, the NW game. Or so,
1: Indiana's uh, striped helmets.
0: Oh, boy. So you can't look good. You just, you just got to stick with the classics, and you can update them. They can still be current, but, you know, just stick with what works. All right, anyway, that is the Dubcast for this week. I am Johnny Ginter.
1: I'm Michael Citro.
0: And we'll see you guys next week.
1: Peace.